Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we develop your brain with weird and wonderful science. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this Science Week edition, young Tassie scientist Sylvia Vincenzi talks about brain development. Before our chat, let's listen to two of her National Science Week videos. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Sylvia and I'm here today to tell you a story. As you might know, I am a scientist, and as all scientists, what we do, we basically make observations of the world around us. So there are some scientists who might look at the stars in the sky, other scientists who might look at the life under the oceans, and other scientists, like myself, look at what is inside our heads, which is where the brain is located. So that's my world, a really complicated one, but super duper interesting. What I do, I study how the brain works, function or dysfunction when disease occurs. So for today, I'm going to take you for a quick trip into my world. Are you ready? Let's get started. Have you ever wondered why do we have a brain? Or have you ever thought why you might feel so happy the day of your birthday or so sad when your best friend is sick? Where do these emotions come from? Our brain, of course, because the brain is this special organ that controls everything we do. The way we communicate, the way we move. How does the brain allow us to accomplish all these tasks in our daily life? Well, as scientists, we make observations of the world around us. So to be able to tell you how the brain functions, we need first to look at its structures. So what is the brain made of? The brain is made of a tiny little cells called neurons. Neurons are the cells of our brain. And -da 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 -da, ladies and gentlemen, this is a neuron. And if you want to know a little bit more secrets about the brain and how the neurons send messages within the brain to let us accomplish our daily task, let me know. So a day in my life is actually like varies a, a little bit. So what I like about my job is that kind of different every day. But if I if I have to find you like my routine is as soon as I arrived uh, in the lab, the first thing I do is go and check uh, my baby fishes because we do have beautiful fish in the lab. So I need to check their health, how they are, feed them a little bit of food. Uh, and that's the best part of my day. And uh, after that, I normally spend the rest of my day in a room with no windows, in the dark, looking at glowing neurons down the microscope. And it's really fascinating because I can really see in real time how neurons make connection with each other. So fish is actually like an amazing animal model system that we use, it's called zebra fish and it doesn't look like a zebra, but it's, it's mostly because this fish during development, so when it's like tiny, tiny, it's transparent. 
So the beauty of this animal model system is that I can look at how connections form in real time by just putting the fish to sleep under a microscope and this fish has some glowing neurons and I can look at this connection growing over time while the fish is sleeping. So that's the best research I can do with it. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. How does the brain build itself? Silvia Vincenzi did a Bachelor of Biotechnology in Italy and moved to Sweden for a Master's in Molecular Medicine and then finally moved to the other side of the world for a PhD in neuroscience at the University of Tasmania. We spoke by Zoom, and I began by asking Sylvia, how did you choose neurobiology? Oh, that's a really good question, because I actually like love all sorts of sciences. But the reason why I ended up doing neurobiology was let's say, kind of a chance, because when I was an undergrad in Italy, I really wanted to see how being a researcher was. So I really wanted to have this experience abroad working in a lab. And so it just happened that I ended up in a lab studying brain cancer, so medulloblastoma, which is a childhood brain cancer. And since then, I got really into this path of neuroscience. And when I came back to Italy, I did a second internship in a neurodevelopmental biology lab. And so I studied the development of the brain. So I felt like really exciting studying neurobiology and the development of the brain. But then when I moved to Sweden, because I know I have a passion towards all sciences, I said, okay, Silvia, you just had two experiences in your life in neuroscience. You, you don't know whether like this is exactly your, like, like your path for the future. So let's try something different. So I did many sorts of different experiences. So I worked in a lab for physical activity, cardiovascular disease, epidemiology labs, microbiome regulating the guts and everything until after all this, let's say, journey of two years in Sweden, I realized, okay, now that I have to commit for a PhD, where is your passion located? Because, you know, like during a PhD, you have many ups and downs. So where can you find the strength during your down moment to go back. And that's where I decided that, yeah, my real passion like reside where in the development of the brain. So I decided to come back to studying neurobiology and especially the biology of the brain, how the brain develops. So that's my story. Wonderful. How do you study brain development? Yes, so that's a really good question. Having said that, we, for ethical reasons, we are not able really to do this in humans because we can't really open up a human brain. So we have to rely on this animal model system that we have or even in vitro uh, neuronal cultures uh, system that essentially allow us to try to model what could happen in a human brain, in either a rodent brain, or for instance, in my case, a zebrafish brain, or neuronal culture. So essentially, I take um, some neurons out of the animals and culture in very small petri dish. Uh, so I grow neurons in a dish, and then I can do some analysis with that. And I saw some videos you did for 
young Tassie science. Is it young Tassie scientists or, or what's it called it's, properly? Yes, yeah, young Tassie scientists. Yes, yes. And you talked and, about um, zebrafish. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's exciting. Like I, well, young Tassie scientists is an organization now that runs for many years. I guess it's back from 2003, and every year is run by volunteers. Essentially, we are PhD students, but there are also like some postdoc and uh, other more senior uh, researchers. And basically, we share what we do in the lab with kids in school. And because of this year, we are not able to visit, visit schools anymore because of the pandemic. We decided to just record some videos. And then today, for instance, just finished calling having a call with your school. So the schools watch our videos and then they call us, ask us questions. Yeah, so the video I prepared for young Tassie scientists, there are a few. I really got passionate about talking about the brain and neurons and the zebrafish. So I'm in my final year of PhD. So I did all my in vitro work already. So I moved, I switched on the animal model system. I'm using zebrafish, which I got expertise in zebrafish back in Sweden. Because when I mentioned before, I was doing other subjects like cardiovascular diseases and so on. I did them using zebrafish as animal model system. Fell in love with that. It's amazing because the, the fish is just transparent and I can just see through. You can just see through uh, the brain and these glowing neurons and see in real time how they connect with each other. And this is what really like, it's really enjoyable. And so it was National Science Week. And what did the young Tassie scientists do? Yeah, so during Science Week, we were quite busy. So as I mentioned before, we we're 18 of us. So each, apart from delivering videos and also having Skype calls or Zoom calls with the schools to talk to them, there are also other events. So there have been like some of my colleagues that have been involved in, I remember, cross-stitch neurons or cell biology. Uh, they've been, uh, nowadays, it's really, let's say, famous or popular doing sardo bread. So they've been running workshop for sardo. They've been running workshop for how to make beers. So the science behind beers. So it's really varies or insects. So we are, let's say 18, we come from different backgrounds. So we just bring our own expertise and they share our science. But in the past, for instance, when we could also attend some science events in person, so we would do doing like roving scientists. So go around to these events like Beaker Street or Science Street Party where let's say like all Hobart is there and we can just interact with them. We normally have a sticker so people can approach us, ask us questions. Yeah, essentially this. Or I've been running, for instance, in the past a workshop of how to build your own neuron with ecological materials, you know, like uh, leftover roll papers, anything I could find in the house and really to boost, we want to boost the creativity of kids and the curiosity of kids towards science because that's what all science is about. It's really creativity driven, curiosity driven. And uh, we want just to show them that there is this opportunity as a career as well. And, you know, we all have fun uh, making science. So why not inspiring the future generations as well? Do you have any favourite questions that you were asked by the children? In general, because I, I got this question before, and for me it's a bit harder because normally when the other young Tassie scientists, let's say, they talk about insects or animals, then they can ask them, what is your favourite animals? But with me, I really explain how the brain works 
and how it's it's made of neurons. So I never get asked a question like, what's your favorite neuron? Because I don't even get <laughs> down to that level of explanation. It's very complicated. So mostly the, you know, the most interesting question I get is mostly like, why did you come to Tasmania? You know, because they can hear my accent. So like I'm one of the few, not locals here, let's say. And so they're curious of the reason why I come to Tasmania. What do I love about Tasmania? So I really like this also sort of interaction and connections. What are some of the questions in brain development that you find really interesting? So what keeps me really fascinated still, like, so when I did the first time I did this internship in Italy in this developmental lab uh, about the brain, it's actually one really similar topic of what I'm doing now for my PhD. And that's where, where my passion resides is we have billions of neurons that make trillions of connections, but these connections are normally originates during early stages of brain development, which occurs during the embryonic stage. So essentially when you are in, in uterus and uh, neurons just know wh- where to go, how to connect with each other, how to build these accurate and precise connection that then is called the neuronal circuits. And then this neuronal circuits is what govern behavior later on in life. So we still like after all these many years of studying how the brain develops, we still didn't come down to the bottom of the core of the, how do neurons really know how to connect with each other? And it's also part of my PhD, trying to understand how neurons can build this precise and accurate connection. So this is like the main question I got when I was six, seven years ago before leaving Italy. And I still keep with me today. And I hopefully I can keep researching after as well after my PhD. And you had some interesting facts about neurons in your videos. You mentioned that some of them grow really big or really long. Yes, yes. Yeah. So that's part of exactly during development, I get excited. So you have, let's say, I'll try to explain, you have a neuron. So imagine that the neuron is like a cell body and then extend a protrusion. So imagine it's like an arm. So it's extending a protrusion out of the body. And at the tip of the of this arm, there is a hand-like structure. It's called the growth cone. So that's my favorite structure of a neuron. But I never get to tell the kids this one. So I'm really excited you ask. And that's what I'm investigating a lot in my PhD. So this hand-like structure is really important because during these early stages of development, it's growing in the dark. So imagine our brain and body. And then it's continuously sampling the environment because it has to understand where to go next, whether it has to turn right, keep growing straight, maybe pause and think, and then take the next left. And so those signals present in the environment is what we call the guidance cues. And they're very extremely important in shaping the direction of this little hand towards the right uh, partner. And so when this hand traveled a long route, so for instance, what I mentioned in one of my videos that imagine you have a neuron in your spinal cord, and then it, it will extend the axon down your spinal cord, leg, and it reach like the tip of your toe. That's how you can tinkle uh, your toe. And this happened during development. And for me, it's like fascinating the fact that when the neuron extend the axon and the axon have to travel that long way, imagine that, of course, it's bypassing thousands of potential partners that it could connect to. But this little hand knows that it cannot stop yet, that its right partner is way farther and keeps going. So it's kind of, they have this 
intrinsic self-organization and is amazing like that that's what keep me fascinated throughout my PhD and you know get me motivated to stand up in the morning I woke up and say what I'm gonna do today who knows what I'm going to discover because I'm really pursue like this passion uh, about how do neurons know how to connect with each other during these early stages of development is fascinating yeah it is and so that's that's what happens when it goes right are you also looking at what happens when it goes a little bit wrong exactly yes so essentially we want to study what happens or the molecular mechanism so that's why i do neurobiology so the difference of let's say neuroscience from a, a psychological perspective well by doing neurobiology, I study the biology. So the molecular mechanism that makes the neuron like turn right or left. Um, so we want to understand what happens in the normal physiological condition. So when, when things go wrong, then we could repair these defects during these early stages of, we call it axon guidance. It's these uh, early stages of brain circuit formation when neurons get connected with each other. So for, for example, in my PhD, the main topic that I'm studying is serotonin. And why do I study serotonin? It's because it's implicated in a wide range of complex adult behavior. But we know that all these behaviors are sort of rooted in early stages of brain circuit formation. So it looks like that depending on the levels of serotonin during these early stages of brain development can affect the circuitry. So how neurons will connect and then later on the behavior that you will show as an adult. So this is really fascinating. And the reason why then I study how serotonin can tell growth control this little hand where to go is because then the long-term application would be, can we really repair these defects that we see in disorders or in human cognitive behaviors that are caused by an incorrect circuit formation? Because we all know that uh, usually is how uh, is neuronal circuits that underlie behavior. So depending on the neuronal circuits that builds in your brain during development, that you will have a, a show a, a certain behavior later on in life. Do we know anything about what goes right when people are talented or gifted? Oh, <laughs> I, at least I don't know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Okay. <laughs> like in, in which sense of gifted? Uh, you mean like talented in um, if, like if, in playing an instrument, for instance? Yeah. So some people learn more quickly or remember a bit better or have more of a gift for languages or music or science. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I guess probably that I, but I'm really speculating, so I'm not uh, talking based on something I studied. I guess it would be also there uh, related mostly to the myelin also could be like doing the myelin is this sheet, let's say like an envelope that uh, axons, these, these little arms and hands are enclosed into it. And this is how, tra- how fast it travels the message. So if I'm thinking from a perspective of how to play an instrument, uh, that would be also the more you practice, the faster you become. But if someone is subjected to the better at something I wouldn't I wouldn't know like I I always felt like I'm better in scientific subjects rather than you know studying poems in Italian but that I think it was mostly driven by my interest so I applied myself more in something I I like more but that's a good question I would like to know as well (laughs) 
<laughs> well, it's one of those things because I know that the little bit I know about the, the myelin and the signals is that's what can go wrong with multiple sclerosis, isn't it? Yes, yes, with the myelin, yeah. So there is like a big Atmensis Research Institute in Hobart. They study a lot this what could go wrong in the myelin in the multiple sclerosis. So there are um, other type of cells called oligodendrocytes that, let's say, enclose the neurons or protect the neurons uh, through the myelin. So when those dies, the myelin also dies, and then this axon get degenerated, neurodegeneration, and then you get multiple sclerosis, just to make a, a really big story short. <laughs> and it's also my understanding, with repetitive strain injury, that it's a reduction in the conduction of the nerves in your wrist and your hand that makes the pain, that your nerves don't yep. conduct as well? Yeah, and, and then you have, like, take a pause, like, try not to use that, let's say, wrist or finger. Let's say if I pipette all the time, then I, yeah, I need really, like, to let it rest for a little bit of time. I come from a particular, yeah, background because I never took a course in my life also of neuroscience. I just trained myself as a neuroscientist by just working in the labs. So in that case, we get a really specific training on that topic. Yeah, because as, as we grow up as scientists in the future, the more specific you are in what you do, the more you are considered an expert on that field. But definitely, like you ask a really interesting question that Thank <laughs> good you. to know anyway. I've heard about some neurobiologists grow little models of brains, you know, bunches of cells that, that are connected in dishes. Have you worked with those? No, but I would love to. Yes, I actually came across this sort of study recently, like, because it came out a really nice paper on that. And I, you know, got intrigued. And it's called like brain organoids. Uh, they're also called mini brains. But there are some ethical issues about should we call them mini brains? Because they're actually not. They're like really small, like your fingernails. But this is look is looking like it's the cutting edge technique and where also the future of neuroscience is going because we can, the difference of, for instance, when I grow neurons in a dish, we call them like 2D cultures because it's essentially I just have neurons on a, on a layer, on a substrate, while the brain organoids, they call them in 3D cultures because they can build neurons on top of each other and we can hopefully, hopefully that would be the way to also understand some molecular mechanism underlying neuropsychiatric disorders. That would be cool. Like, I, I wouldn't mind working on that in the future, definitely. Do you do anything in the direction of neurotoxins or is that totally outside of brain development? No, I don't do anything in, in that sense. But I mean, they if you want to, like, they use Zebrafish as a model system also to uh, study drug toxicity because it's, it's really easy to study Zebrafish as a high-throughput model in the sense because when we get eggs, we get many, and they're easy to handle and cheap to keep. So there are many labs, the ones that are really good with numbers, bioinformatics, epidemiology, that they usually do high throughput. So you maybe have a plate, multi-well plate of 96 well plates. So each plate can have one embryo and you can run these experiments over 96 fish, screen lots of drugs to looking for toxicity. 
and or toxins yeah and then it would be once only few will show like they have toxicity on zebrafish and then you select only these few that give you an insight that might be toxic and then you bring up further your investigations do you have any final words for people that are thinking they might want to study neurobiology Oh yeah, definitely. So if you're really interested in studying neurobiology, there is space for you because many years we have been studying the brain and there are still many unresolved questions. And in most of the cases, there will be the same unresolved questions of 20 years ago. So this is a process that takes time. But I'm also confident because with all the progress of technology that we have in our hands, I'm sure that things will become clearer and clearer the farther we go ahead, but the more we are, the better. It's like just a bigger, more collaborative group. Well, Sylvia, thank you very much. Thank you. That was Sylvia Vincenzi talking about brain development and National Science Week. You can see her Young Tassie Scientists videos on YouTube. I'll embed them on the Diffusion page for this episode. You can now see the video of my interview with Bonnie Teese, Kirsten Banks and Martin Van Cronendonk about the search for life on Mars at youtube.com slash c slash Diffusion Radio. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolfe. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM, in New South Wales, 8CCC in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2NVR in Nambucca Valley, 3MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, and 2XXFM in Canberra. Diffusion is now narrowcast on Indigo FM 88 in northeast Victoria. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com and check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. Make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf. I'm Ian Wolf. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. 
knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.